Let's open in the Word of God this morning to Paul's letter to Titus, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. Titus was a, a preacher, a teacher, and Paul is writing here to uh, speak to him about what the content of some of his preaching should be. And we think of the Great Commission to preach the gospel and to uh, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and that's uh, certainly the instruction that Paul is giving here, discipleship in the church of Jesus Christ. So Titus chapter 2, we'll read the entire chapter. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they in behavior as be that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed." Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he which is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to Please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, not showing, but, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And we read this far in the Holy and Inspired Word of God. This morning, our text is verses 4 and 5, that they, that is the older women, may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. And this morning, I want to focus especially on that last phrase in verse 4. We will be talking about the entirety of these two verses, but especially that phrase at the end of verse 4, to love their children. And in the Greek, that's one word, philotechnos, means simply love for offspring, philotechnos, to love their children. The first and most obvious reason for that today is Mother's Day. We are thinking about mothers on Mother's Day, but our thinking has to be different to the world in which we live. I mentioned some of that in the prayer, but we certainly live in a day and age in which motherhood has fallen on bad times in our society. And so we need biblical instruction from from God's order, from creation. What does God intend for women and what does God intend for mothers? And we need that so that mothers can be encouraged in their calling. Many children in the congregation mean busy homes and busy mothers. And mothers, you need to know the importance of your work, the value of your work with souls, which are the church of tomorrow. And what you're doing is God's will and God's way for you. And that's the way of blessing. 
And this is also important and necessary for men and children. Proverbs 31, verse 28, the great chapter on the virtuous woman, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her because, as Proverbs also tells us, a prudent wife is from the Lord. They rise up and call her blessed. You rise up from the table. You rise up from the couch. You rise up from your bed. They rise up and call her blessed. Her husband praises her. And then Proverbs 31 continues with that praise. Many daughters have done virtuously, or many women have done excellently, nobly. But this husband says to his wife, you excel them all. You're the best of them all. So to encourage men, children, and to encourage our young people who are growing up in this world, they need, you need young people to be countercultural, to be antithetical as you think about marriage and you think about women and you think about men and husbands and wives and what marriage is so that you're grounded in the Word of God in that. And in a day and age that despises and scorns this, we want to have young women in the church who want to be married, who want to have children, because this is the way and the purpose of God. Yes, it's not always God's purpose, women, to bring you a husband or to give you children, but the desire is godly. We'll see that in one of the examples in a little while. And young men, this is what you want in a godly wife. So all of this, all of this, this morning brings home the weight and the importance of the subject that is that is before us: a mother's love for her children. And what's in view here in that phrase at the end of verse four, of course, is much more than just. A natural love. There is a natural love. And the Bible speaks of such a thing even in the creation. A hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But this is the love of the woman that fears the Lord, Proverbs 31. This is a godly mother's love for her children. And so it is is shaped by the gospel. And and, and you see that here in this chapter. Just look down at, at verse... 11 or verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of our God, our Savior, in all things, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. So we have to adorn the, the gospel teaching with our behavior. How do we do that? Verse 14 says, of the, the love of God for us, or the love of Christ for us, that He gave Himself for us. That's love. And now, the love of Christ for us in the Gospel, which is a selfless and a sacrificial love, must shape the way that we love. Must shape the way that the woman who fears the Lord, a godly woman, loves her children. And this is the way we adorn the doctrine of God in our good works, by loving as we have been loved. So let's consider this morning the love of a godly mother. Notice with me first the biblical pattern, second the spiritual emphasis, and then third the compelling reasons. The love of a godly mother. From these verses, the first and most obvious thing is this, that love is something that is learned. Love is learned. Love must be learned, and love can be learned. So what Paul talks about here in verses 3 and 4 is the ministry of older women in the church to younger women in the church. We might say a mentoring ministry, a one-on-one ministry in which the older women come alongside the younger women, and they're teaching them to love, to love their husbands and to love their children. 
They're saying to them, this is what a mother's love, a godly mother's love looks like. This is how you adorn the gospel in your love. And what that tells us is this, that love is more than a feeling. Love is not something that just happens naturally. Love is something that involves the regenerated mind. Love is something that involves the intellect which knows and embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love is described in the Bible in terms of decision and action, and that's agape love. A love of the will, choice. And a love that's in its commitment is active. It does something. Just look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you see that. Why do we have to learn to love? Because of sin. Because of selfishness. Which puts me at the center. Puts self at the center. Whereas love is sacrificial. It puts others first. And the corruption of maternal love is evident in the fallen world in which we live today. Not just in some of those things that we've mentioned already about homosexuality and feminism and so on, but think of the millions of babies killed because there isn't biblical and maternal love killed in abortion. So we have to learn love because we're sinners who want to put self at the center. And we learn it as we turn to the Scripture, and that's evident here, from example and from instruction. From example and instruction. That's what these older women are to set before the younger women, their own example, and then to teach them. And when they teach them, they don't want to impart to these younger women their own wisdom, but the wisdom of the Word of God, to give them instruction from the Scriptures. And the best instruction is in the Scripture itself. So let's think about what the Scriptures say about mother's love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have an example of how the Scripture holds mother's love high. The Apostle Paul is under attack For his ministry, his authority, and his intentions, and his purposes are being questioned as he goes around and preaches the gospel. And in Thessalonica, there are people that are saying, Paul is preaching the gospel for his own personal gain and advancement. He's doing this to to get, as it were, money for himself and fame for himself. And so Paul has to respond to that, and this is the way he responds to it in in. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, or verse 6, beginning at verse 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, that we might, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He's saying two things there. We didn't seek praise. We didn't become a financial burden to you. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. He's talking about there, a nursing mother. with a baby in her arms. And he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. And the apostle is saying, When I came and preached the gospel, I came with the love of a mother for an infant. And I was willing to give not just everything that I had, but myself That's the love of a mother. Held very highly in Scripture, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Here is the unimaginable, that a woman would forget her sucking child. In a fallen world, certainly that can happen. And God here is saying, not this, in a fallen world that can happen, but this. My love is greater than the greatest form of human love. A mother's love for her child. 
And then think of the way that God designed the family and the home and in the beginning created and created a man and a woman and said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply because, because God wanted in that parental love that a mother would show to his child, he wanted us to understand something of the greatness of his love. Greater than a mother's love. So the Scriptures hold this very high, and they do that also by giving to us wonderful examples of of real mothers and their love for their children, godly mothers. And you have in Scripture examples both of a natural love and of a, a godly spiritual love. What do we mean by a natural love? Well, we mean something of the fierce, undying, protective, tender, sacrificial love of a mother for her children, in which she always wants the best for her child. Think of the two women who came to Solomon with one baby because one of their babies had died in the night and the the mother of the other had stolen. And Solomon recognized in these two women that were before him that there was in them something of a mother's love and that he could use that to determine whose child this truly was. And you know the story, bring me a sword. And the mother whose child it was in her fierce, natural, protective love for her child says, no, let her have the baby. I don't want it killed. And there are many examples of that kind of love in Scripture. You see the, the, the squabbling, we could say, of Hagar and Sarah and the wives of Jacob. You see Zipporah, the wife of Moses, when it's time to circumcise her children, uh, very upset with Moses. You think of Naomi, who changes her name when her sons have died from Naomi to Mara, which means bitter. You think of Bathsheba, the, the mother of Solomon, who for her son's sake comes before the king the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman during the ministries of Elijah and Elisha when they have sick and dying children, or the mother of James and John who comes to Jesus, the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my daughter is sick, and, and, and she pleads with, with this, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. Or you can think of Jesus' own mother standing at the cross when most had forsaken him. But the love that we want to think about this morning and that the text puts before us is the, godly, is the love especially of a godly mother. And that's a, a spiritual love. And the examples in Scripture of that also abound. Dozens of them could be pulled from Scripture. What, what I want us to do this morning is just think of four outstanding examples of mothers with a spiritual love. And these are the examples and these are the instruction from the Word of God for us. The first example is Eve. We start with Eve because Genesis starts with Eve. She's the first mother. And there are really two things that are told us about her in Genesis. Genesis is the book of origins. It lays down foundations. And in Genesis, Eve is given two names. The first name that she's given is the name woman because she's taken from a man. That that name is the name Isha, and it means help. She's created as a help for her husband. That's God's created ordinance for a married woman. But then the second name that she's given is the name Eve. And Adam gives her this name after the fall and after the promise of the seed of the woman. And Adam says she shall be called Eve because she'll be the mother of all living. The word Eve simply means living. And Adam's recognizing in in reflection on the promise of God of the seed of the woman that life would come from from the womb of Eve. And that life would be not just the life of his children, but the life which is the promised seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, the life giver. And so he calls her Eve. But what I, what I want us to see this morning is especially the, the response of Eve to that. And you see this in, in Genesis chapter 4 when she receives her first child. She says, I have gotten a man from Jehovah. 
And later, in that same chapter, when one son kills the other, okay, and kills Abel, and then she's given another child, Seth, she says, God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. And what you recognize here in Eve is her consciousness of the fact that God has given her in the creation a specific place and role, and that the children that she's been given to her, that she's received, have been given to her from the Lord. So that she reflects already in Genesis chapter 4, what we read in Psalm 127, verse 3, children are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb His reward. This is her perspective. And she's so close to creation. We're so far away from it now. But so close to creation, she has this strong grasp. And we need that same grasp of the fact that in love for God, we realize that we're stewards of the children that He's given to us. That's Eve. A second example is Jochebed in Exodus chapter 2. She is the mother of Moses. And certainly she had a natural love for her son Moses, which defied the king's command to drown her son. So she kept Moses alive for three months in her home. And then because he could no longer be kept there, she placed him in a basket in the Nile River. But her intent in placing him in the Nile River was not to give him up, but to find a way to secure him safely in her home. And we know that because Miriam, Moses' 12-year-old sister, was placed there by the river. And then the explanation and the story that eventually brings Moses back under her care till he's weaned. Just a little while. Imagine, mothers, if, if God gave you your children just till they were weaned, and then they would go off and live in the palace of some godless king. And what does Hebrews 11 tell us about Jochebed? It tells us that she did this in faith, and this faith was evident in the rearing of her son Moses, so that she invested herself, we might say, with all her might in Moses in the instruction and the care of Moses, because she knew that her time with him was very short. And that's important for us to realize when God has given us children, to love our children is to recognize the value and also the the shortness of the time that we have with them. And so she was committed to the spiritual task in faith. The third example that I want us to think of this morning is the example of mother of Hannah, the mother of Samuel. And this is in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. We are, in a sense, skipping over many other examples here in Scripture. We can think of Samson's mother. We can think of Naomi. But in Hannah, there are these three things that we see. First of all, we see in her a very strong desire as a married woman in Israel, for children. She prayed, and she wept. And she did this year after year. This was a great burden on her soul. And we should this morning stop and think about that for a little while. The prayer of a mother, the prayer of a woman with a barren womb especially painful for a believing woman with the selfless love of Jesus Christ in her heart that she wants to impart in the role of being a mother in Israel. That was Hannah's pain. The Lord answered her prayer and gave her a son, And then we see this second thing in Hannah, that she placed uh, priority on being a mother. We see this in two things in the behavior of Hannah. First is this, that when Samuel is very young, she doesn't go to the house of the Lord, to the tabernacle. But she stays home with her son Samuel. And then after she's brought Samuel to the tabernacle where he remains, and think of the 
of Jochebed, the mother of Moses, it was something similar with Hannah, just a short time. But after she's brought him there to Samuel, each year in her motherly love, she brings him new clothing. So we see her priority, the priority that she placed on this. But there's especially one thing that stands out about Hannah, and it's what she says in faith. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Like Eve, she received her child from the Lord. And then she says this, Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Are we giving, that's the word lent, giving, granting, handing over our children to God so that they worship Him? Our children are not about us. Our children are not about them. They are the heritage of the Lord, His reward. And the fruit of Hannah Lending her son to the Lord is that he worshipped Jehovah there. That's a mother's desire who loves her children. The fourth example, and now we turn all the way to the New Testament, is the example of Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. There was something in Timothy that attracted him to Paul. That there was a spiritual affinity. He calls him my son. Timothy, my son. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes about this. This These are the final words of Timothy, of Paul, in his second imprisonment. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this is what he writes to Timothy, that I thank God that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee. So here's Paul, alone, aged, in prison. And in prison he's thinking of Timothy. And he's thankful for Timothy. And he wants to see Timothy again. And he explains to us why. When I called to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and that I'm persuaded in thee also. What did he love about Timothy? He loved the genuineness of Timothy's faith. A true brother in the Lord. What does he say about that faith? That this is something he recognized in Timothy's mother and grandmother, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. Now we know that faith is not something that is, we could say, automatically transferred, genetically transferred from mother to child. So this faith, this genuine faith was in these women. How was it imparted to Timothy? Well, it was through their instruction, and that's another part of this great book, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says to Timothy, a preacher of the gospel, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And now... Let's reflect a little bit on the home that Timothy grew up in. Timothy was not circumcised because Timothy had a believing mother who was a Jew and an unbelieving father who was a Greek. And so there was conflict in that home. And in that conflict, Timothy's mother, together with his grandmother, invested themselves spiritually in this child and taught him in the Scriptures so that When Paul came to Lystra on his second missionary journey, he recognized in this young man potential, great potential. 
a genuine spirituality. He saw it in his mother. He saw it in his grandmother. He saw it in Timothy. And he said, here's a young man who could be a preacher of the gospel. I want to train him. I want to take him with me. And so Timothy accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys, was trained in the gospel ministry, and finally left by Paul in Ephesus to pastor the church there. And that goes back to his mother, that from a child, though it's known the Holy Scriptures. So these are the outstanding, some of the outstanding examples in Scripture of a mother's love. And you see the the spiritual dimension of it, the priority that these mothers put on their task with the children that God had given to them. This is a mother's love. And that's expanded on for us in Titus chapter 2, because these verses say more than just to love their children. To love their children, verse 5 says, as keepers at home. To love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home. I want to say a few things about that. That that does not mean that the woman is the one to whom all the domestic duties belong. That's not what it's saying. She's not a house servant. But rather it's saying this, that the primary focus of her love, a love for God and love for others, is in the home as a mother that she gives priority to this. And isn't that what we've seen in those biblical examples? Certainly that was the priority that Eve gave. The priority of Jochebed and of Hannah and of Eunice and Lois. To give the spiritual instruction and love to their children. And this text obviously is speaking to young Married women with children. Teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Younger women at home with husbands and with children. This is how you love your children. The priority of all your labor is those children. We see something similar in in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and this passage is helpful because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, there's a a contrast. 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, there were widows in the church. There were two kinds of widows in the church, elderly widows and younger widows. The elderly widows, Paul says, should be cared for because they are widows indeed, truly widows who can't meet their own needs. So they need to be cared for by the deacons in the church. But in contrast to that, or for the younger women, the apostle says this, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And we're interested especially in that phrase, guide the house, keepers at home, guide the house. That phrase, guide the house, really means to manage the home. And so there's authority in the role of being a mother in the home. That's the idea here. The fifth commandment says it. Children, honor your father and your mother. And one of the important things that a husband must do is to establish in the minds of his children the authority of their mother. She's the home manager. The husband is the head, but she alongside of him has a place of authority in the home. And the husband and the wife are created by God to to complement one another in the duties of the home. The Scriptures in Genesis chapter 3 say to Adam that he will be the breadwinner by the sweat of his face. And he will be the one who provides for his home. And then complementing that role is the woman's base of labor in the home. This is her 
priority. Every wise woman buildeth her home. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. Or we could look at Proverbs, 13, Proverbs 31 and see this, this woman who we call the virtuous woman. And all her labor is, we could say, home-based. Not in the sense of being limited to her home. You look at Proverbs chapter 31 and you, and you see there a woman described who is extremely busy, industrious, the opposite to lazy. And so she's described in these ways in Proverbs uh, chapter 31, verse 18, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She's busy into the night. And then again in verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household. So she's busy. And she's busy in the affairs of her household. Those are her concern. And in that concern, she, she, as it were, branches out, but branches out for the sake of her home. So look at verse 14. She's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Verse 20, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. So what's she doing? In her busyness, she's family-focused. And that's because this woman who fears the Lord has a, a love for her offspring that's directed, directing all her labor and her love. And what we see as we think about this, is that it's, it's commendable, not only, but it's biblical for women to give themselves to the full-time care of their children, the nurture and the training of their children. And we need encouragement in that in the day and age in which we live. This is love. The feminist mindset says, you're at the center. The Scripture says, God is at the center. And love as you've been loved by Jesus Christ. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Men, children, has God blessed you with a mother, a wife like this? Rise up. Call her blessed. Tell her, you're the best of the best. Many have done virtuously, but you exceed them all. We've seen it already in the examples, but the love of a mother has a spiritual focus. And there are two things that we want to say about that this morning. First is this, that her task is spiritual. And then the second is that this comes from her character, which is spiritual. Her task is spiritual. What is the task of a mother? Well, already I've said it's much more than just those domestic duties. The task of a mother in the home is to create and to maintain with her husband an environment that's spiritually nurturing. That's the way that the Christian home environment is explained for us in Scripture. Bring your children up, Ephesians 6 says, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So there are spiritual duties. Spiritual duties. That begins with recognizing that our children need spiritual instruction because they, with us, are conceived and born in sin. They have an evil nature. And that's seen as soon as they begin to express themselves so that some of their first words are no and mine. What is it? It's the, the selfishness that we want to teach our children is bound up in the foolishness of their heart. This is what they have to see. And so, you can imagine 
that this is what Jochebed and Hannah were busy with, with their sons, to show them their sinfulness. How do we do that? Well, there's two main ways that we do that in Scripture, and those are the words reflected in Ephesians chapter 6 and also in Proverbs, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In Proverbs 29, verse 15, it's put this way, rod and reproof. two important aspects of the role of being a parent. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the, the rod of correction will drive it from them. So we want our children to learn to see their sin. We have to correct them, and we have to instruct them. And mothers, it's important for you to know that this is your task too. It shouldn't all fall on your husband or the father to give corporal discipline to your children. You establish your place, your authority in their lives and in the home when you do that. That's love for children. We live in, a, in an age when this is frowned upon, and, and that's partly because of abuse, abuse which usually doesn't come through a rod, but without love, without instruction, and is administered because Parents are frustrated. These children get in the way of my happiness. But in obedience to God and in faith, without fear of man, let's follow what the Word of God says here. Our children need correction with the rod. There must be the rod. And then with it, reproof or instruction. And what's important here is that the instruction that our children must receive must be all-encompassing. That is, it must be a constant part of their experience in the Christian home. And that's expressed for us very beautifully in Deuteronomy 6. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, that is, when you're out and about, when you rise up in the morning, when you lie down at night, so that your children are nurtured in the instruction and the admonition of the Lord, directed by Scripture, directed toward God all of your life, consistent education. And of course, that's also why it's important to us to give our children a Christian education. But the emphasis in the verse here is, we could say, a third important aspect of the spiritual calling that we have as parents. There is correction, there is instruction, but there's a third thing that's fundamental for the effectiveness of those first two, and that is example. And by example, we mean this, that our life and conduct as parents is consistent with what we teach and arises from a character, a heart, that is sincere with God. And that's what's emphasized here in, in Proverbs 31 a woman that fears the Lord. That is, a woman who lives in the consciousness of God in her daily conduct, in all that she does. And, and now that's really, we might say here in Titus chapter 2, broken down for us. What does it look like when a woman fears the Lord? She is discreet, chaste, good, obedient to her husband and sober. Let's think about those things. This is what the older women are to teach the younger women to be. And of course, the older women have to do this by example. They have to do this by pointing the younger women to Scripture and the examples in Scripture. And then these younger women are to do this so that there's consistency in their love for their children. To be sober This is not talking so much about sobriety with regard to alcohol, but it's talking about the idea of having a, a mind that is, that is sober, a sober mind before God. A woman who takes her role as a mother seriously. Being a mother is, is not a joke. A mother's work is not a joke 
This is a woman who lives before God in all her labor, who realizes her own unworthiness, who is humble as she, as she lives and walks before God, sober-minded. And then discreet. This is a woman of wisdom, discretion. How many decisions doesn't a mother have to make from day to day? And, and she wants to be directed in her decision-making by the Word of God. And a discreet woman is one who has, in this context, a teachable spirit so that the older women can speak to her about her task as a mother. She has hum- humility. A woman of sound judgment. That's the idea of discreet. Sober, discreet, chaste. That's holiness. And holiness has the idea of purity and commitment. Not a woman given to being flirtatious, but a woman with pure thoughts who wants her daughters and her sons to be raised in purity and to see her commitment. Commitment. That's holiness. Separation and consecration. So she's given to this task. And then fourth, the godly woman is someone who cultivates the characteristic of being good. And the idea here is of kindness. A woman who's hospitable, gentle, thoughtful, tender-hearted, not mean-spirited, friendly, forgiving, good to others. That's the idea. And these, these of course, are, are things that describe the character of one who lives before God. And then fifth, obedient to her husband. That is a submissive attitude. She's not individualistic. She's not in this world for herself. She's not disruptive. She's willing to renounce her own will for the sake of others and for peace in the home. These are the values that God seeks and that God creates in mothers. A woman's beauty is not in her appearance, popularity, personality, but is internal. In 1 Peter 3, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so favor is deceitful, beauty vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Again, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Men, has God given you such a wife? Children, has God given you such a mother? Thank her. At the end of verse 5, it says this, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. And there's a parallel idea in 1 Timothy 5, verse 14, that they give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, this is not to say that God's people, that godly mothers, that Christian homes won't be spoken against by the adversary. Certainly they will. What's in view here is that we don't give occasion, that we don't give reason to the world to scorn motherhood, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. This is adorning the doctrine of God with godliness. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, the contrast to that is women who as widows, were idle, wandering from house to house, gossiping and tattling. And today, we live in a world when you don't have to wander from house to house, you, you just post it on social media. And that can often be a cause for the Word of God to be blasphemed, the testimony that's damaging to God and His church. The positive calling is this, to bring glory to God 
and his word and his church and the witness of the gospel by loving their children. And that's a compelling reason. Think about it. God's glory through our living in our Christian homes. Because what we're reflecting again is the love of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Sacrificial love of the gospel adorned with the sacrificial love of a mother. The other compelling reason is the value of the work. And the value is there in that word children to love their children, covenant children, the heritage of the Lord. Think about it this way. When we die, we depart in our souls to heaven. And there's nothing here that we can take with us. but the souls of our children. That's the value. God's blessing and grace, with God's blessing and grace, those souls will be with us in glory. We leave everything else behind. And that's the value of the work, the labor. That was the labor of Jochebed with Moses, of Hannah, with Samuel, of Timothy's mother, with him, the greatest gift, mothers, that you can give to your children is not anything that this world can offer, not even yourself. But as Eunice and Lois, your faith. The children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Is this the mother? the wife that God's given you. Thank God for her and call her blessed. Thank her. Praise her. Amen. Father, we're thankful for these two gifts, the gifts of children and the gifts of mothers. We're thankful, Father, for women whose hearts directed by the Spirit and Word are the blessing that we have described, that the Scripture has described for us this morning, who love their children with much more than a natural love, a spiritual love concerned with eternal things. Lord, instruct us in this way and help us to understand the, the value and the importance of the great work that we do as parents so that our children with us may someday be found with the, the multitude without number that stands before the throne by the sea of crystal. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.